ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, the migrant worker crisis. Thousands are stuck here with no work, no money and not a lot of help. These workers, they want to go home. They really want to go home. They're missing their families. There's no work here for them, really, or a little bit of work only. Um, but they just can't get home. There's no flights or their governments um, don't really want them back at the moment. Thousands more caught outside the border when it closed are stranded overseas not knowing when they can come back. If you were going home tonight with your suitcase and your kids and your husband, you get to the front door and it's locked and all you get is a three-line email saying, sorry, no, you can't come in. Please don't reply to this email. You don't have any right of review. You don't have any right of appeal. That's, in a nutshell, what people have been suffering for the last 12-plus weeks. Right now, 350,000 people hold temporary work visas in New Zealand. More than 200,000 have to have conditions on their visas changed to allow more flexibility, such as moving into another job. And for many, it's urgent. The government's working through that, but for thousands, it's not happening quickly enough or at all. Here are political commentators Linda Clark and Richard Harmon speaking on RNZ's Sunday programme. I get why the government's anxious about this. I mean, there's a lot of them, and um, the question will be, you know, does it set a precedent, and where do you start and where do you stop? The problem with that, though, is that the government is is plugging holes all over the place with temporary solutions, that it would never do those in normal time. So it can plug temporary gaps when it wants to, and this one, it doesn't seem to have an appetite to do that. I mean, these people will be in dire situations, and they can't go home, right? So they really are um, displaced persons, really. This is going to come to a head, and very shortly, because, as I understand it, a very large number of these visas expire um, by the end of September. And there are several issues involved here. Uh, we've been reliant on these workers and rolling their visas over on a yearly basis for far too long. The other question, and this particularly relates to the semi-skilled jobs like the dairy industry, is if they go, and that does appear to be... I mean, the government's sort of quiet agenda is they hope they all go home and open up the jobs for New Zealanders. But if they do go, you can't just drop someone who's on the dole straight into a milking shed. There are just too many elements to this to explain it all in one podcast. So we're looking at a couple of aspects. Why people with valid work visas can't get back into the country when foreign filmmakers and sailors can get in. And the working visitors trapped in Hawke's Bay. The international students, the backpackers and the RSC or seasonal workers desperate to get home. RNZ's Anusha Bradley has been covering their story. So we have about 1,700 RSC workers um, in the Hawke's Bay at the moment. These are workers from the Pacific. They come from nine Pacific countries. They come for, you know, six to 11 months um, of the year. They came really for the apple harvest here in Hawke's Bay largely, and that's over and done with now. And about 1,700 of them remain, and they, and they really would have been home by now. And that the issue is, is that they, you know, their contracts have ended. Um, there isn't really enough work for them all. So um, they're here, I guess they're underemployed. They're making a little bit of money. They've still got accommodation, but they're not really earning enough to get by. And, and they're stuck here. They, they just can't get home because they're, they're island, you know, nations. They don't want them back in a way. They're just not ready for them. Where are they living and what are they doing? 
under the government stipulations, the regulations that brings them to New Zealand, it's quite a regulated program, the RSC program. They have to be provided with accommodation and they also given lots of pastoral care as well. The the employers, the big, you know, apple companies here and the big fruit growers, they're looking after them still. But there are some sort of tricky legal um, issues which are getting in the way, I guess, of of helping them out further. So when they come, they have to have a contract that guarantees them at least 30 hours work a week. Now, at the moment, those contracts have ended with the end of the picking season, but there isn't really um, enough of that work to guarantee the 30 hours continuing. So they haven't really got those contracts anymore and the employers are still looking after them, but um, are reluctant to renew those contracts and so they really have asked the government to do some tinkering with that legislation to allow them to offer them a contract but with maybe more flexible hours and I understand that that is in the wings. So where are they staying? The employers have to provide them with accommodation and then they live in purpose-built accommodation um, houses like kind of like big dorms really like for example Bostock has built purpose-built accommodation barracks or even have bought whole motels. And how how is that the cost of that being covered? Are they expected to pay for that themselves? Now when they're here working they do they do pay for that accommodation and but at the moment because they're not really working those employers are not charging them anymore because they realize that you know they can't really they can't really pay it and and so that cost has been borne by the employer at the moment and you know they're really trying to get and these workers they want to go home they really want to go home they're missing their families there's no work here for them really or a little bit of work only um but they just can't get home there's no flights or their governments um don't really want them back at the moment and how are they paying for things like food either using their savings or they're becoming increasingly increasingly reliant on emergency funds from civil defence. Now, the government has given civil defence, the I guess, the mandate to look after migrant workers who are stuck here. They can provide emergency uh, accommodation, clothing, food, but these are really just the basics. And when I spoke to Civil Defence last week, they were quite worried that they're seeing increasing numbers of people, of migrants, seeking help from them. And they're worried because it's not becoming just an emergency response. It's almost like a long-term response, really. And so they really need this to be sorted out at the government level about what to do with these workers because they can't keep providing this kind of help on a longer-term basis. Civil Defence Hawke's Bay is worried a slow train wreck is unfolding in the region as it helps an increasing number of backpackers, seasonal workers and international students stranded in New Zealand. Emergency welfare is just that, but it just needs to be really clear as to who is actually responsible. And also um, acknowledging that the civil defence groups actually just, we need to actually take a bit of a deep breath and get ourselves prepared for the next thing that's going to come our way. Because they're only just starting to see the effects of this now, what he said is bubbling up to the surface now. Many of them had a little bit of work or they're relying on their savings, that's now run out. And they're also worried because Hawke's Bay is one of the first regions to have finished the season completely and also Nelson, which also has large, relies largely on apples and that season's finished. Um, but as the seasons sort of end, like, you know, kiwi fruit and Bay Plenty, other, other harvest areas end, we're going to see these workers run out of work and we're going to see these issues crop up in other regions as well. So they're really worried about the impact of this over the next two to three months. What are they saying needs to happen? Well, we just need to get these um, workers home, really. 
Um, a lot of work is being done in the industry by the industry, by the growers and, for example, apples and pears New Zealand here in Hawke's Bay to try and facilitate flights back direct from Hawke's Bay to the islands. Now, one of the biggest issues is that obviously countries like Samoa were devastated um, by the Spanish flu in 1918 and then more recently by measles. So the, so their governments are really nervous about bringing back workers from New Zealand, even though we are essentially COVID-free here in New Zealand and there are very few, if, no, if none, of cases in the islands. But one of the biggest issues is that they just don't have the quarantine facilities in the islands. For example, there are about, I think, a thousand Tongan workers stuck here in New Zealand, but Tonga only has the ability to quarantine about 50 people at a time. So it would take months to bring all those, all those people back. So what they're proposing to do, the industry here, is with the help of the DHB, set up these um, quarantine facilities in the workers' accommodation, effectively create a bubble here in Hawke's Bay in which these workers can, can be for two weeks in a kind of onshore uh, quarantine facility, and then they'd fly directly from Hawke's Bay to the islands. That's trying to be, I think, negotiated at the moment. I think New Zealand government's quite keen on that idea. It really is trying to sort through those issues with the um, Pacific Islands. That is one group, and it's obviously a, a crucial group of people in, in a really dire situation, but, but that is only one group. I mean, we're hearing about tens of thousands of migrant workers who are stuck here a lot have lost their jobs and there must be those kind of people in Hawke's Bay as well. Yeah, we're seeing, um, or civil defence is at seeing and helping more backpackers as well. So many have come from Queenstown where I think you've reported the situation has been so dire there that the, as soon as lockdown ended, many of those um, backpackers on working holiday visas had spent all their money on accommodation during the lockdown in Queenstown and just had run out of funds. And I guess many of them left the city as soon as they could and they went to other regions where they thought they could find work. Many have come to Hawke's Bay where they thought they could pick up picking work or horticulture work that only to come here and find that there was nothing here as well. Yeah, there's a lot of people that just didn't have... They, just, they didn't have anything. They were here... To, of course, if you're on a work holiday visa, they were here to work. And if there's no jobs, then you're pretty stuck. You rely relying on your parents to help you out. We've heard stories of um, backpackers um, living in orchards and tents at the moment, you know, and look, and, and this is like, you know, we're now getting frost, it's in the middle of winter, and while that might be okay for, for a week here, a week there, it's not a sustainable solution. And are they also queuing for food and other support with civil defence? Yeah, Civil Defence says it's increasingly seeing more of these sort of um, backpackers on working holiday visas, um, that, you know, who are essentially stuck here. They can't get jobs and they can't get home. And um, then they're putting them up in accommodation. The government has given them a mandate to supply them with emergency accommodation, food and clothing. But they're really just the basics. And Civil Defence is saying, well, we really need a longer term approach to help these people because it's no longer just a response to COVID. This is going to keep going for several months. And they're worried that as more and more backpackers run out of their funds, because uh, many are just living on savings or help from their parents overseas, that they're going to be seeing more and more of them putting their hand up for help. And what and what do they do with them? So what would this longer term um, assistance be? Well, I think that's the question civil defence has said to the government. We need 
a longer term approach. Maybe we need an extension of the um, funding that they've been given to supply them with those emergency um, you know, um, needs, I guess. Mm. Um, I think that those such those are the requests are just being worked through right now. Um, I talked to the immigration minister, Ian Lees Galloway, last week about this, and he was very coy about giving anything away, just saying that they're looking at all options on the table, including trying to get those, you know, working holiday visa holders, those backpackers home on repatriation flights, working with those foreign governments to take them home, and also just, you know, extending the emergency help they can give them. But um, that's all he'd say at the moment. Then there are 62,000 temporary migrant workers stuck overseas. Only 250 people can come into the country each day and there's capacity to quarantine about 3,200 people at one time. And returning citizens and residents have priority. But the Immigration Minister, Ian Lees Galloway, says the 10,000-odd temporary work visa holders who would be ordinarily resident here are next. It is impossible to put a, a, a time frame on it at the moment. But what I want people to know is that we are, we are working on this issue. Uh, we are working on the policy settings that we need to be able to have a managed process for people to be able to return to New Zealand. And we're working on things uh, like quarantine capacity. Katie Armstrong is an immigration consultant with clients stuck on the wrong side of the border. With very short notice, on the on the 19th of March, just a minute before midnight, the border was closed. So what that meant was that for anybody who's holding a temporary visa, whereas normally you've got the automatic right to come back into New Zealand, suddenly you couldn't. So there are literally thousands of people who are stuck. So many of them just went away for what might have been a wedding or a funeral or to see a sick parent maybe a, a holiday, and they just didn't have time to get back. You've got the people who were clearly living in New Zealand prior to the 19th of March, and some of those have been living here for quite some time because e even though they're on a temporary visa, you know, it can take some time, often years, to build up to, to being resident. You know, I can give you an example um, of a case that's, to me, at the extreme end of this. Family of five, been living and working in New Zealand since 2016. They are, have three children. The children's schooling is all established here in New Zealand. They've been paying their taxes for four-plus years. Everything that they own is here. And so there's nowhere really for them to go. They're just pitched up at the moment. That particular family's living in a shed. We are stuck about two and a half hours outside of Johannesburg, living in a shed on my brother-in-law's farm. And it's winter now. So we're not really geared for the winters as the shed has got no ceiling and no real heating in it either. Having no income, it's really hard at the moment as well. I should be clear, there's Immigration New Zealand, which is part of MB, the ministry. So the ministry, you could say, was tasked with um, coming up with some policies to allow people back in if they made a request for an exception to the border closure. So that was a system, if you like, so that was set up quickly, very quickly. Um, and with all things that are done quickly, obviously, there can be inadvertent groups of people that get caught out, if you like. So to give you an idea of the sort of anomalies that I'm talking about, if you are that family of five currently stuck in the shed with your three children and your entire life is here, 
So you just literally can't get into your house. Missing home for my 11-year-old, I think, is the worst. My daughter cries every night, basically, asking about her cats. My eldest son has been sitting, doing school during New Zealand's lockdown from 12 o'clock at night till 4 o'clock in the morning because of the time difference. He's losing a lot. He's trying his hardest to stay up to date. You can't get into your jobs. I mean, that particular family, dairy farm manager and a wife that works on the farm, you know, neither of them have any income coming in. So the, the problem there is that they have to apply for an exception. It feels like swimming in treacle. You have to apply to the lead agency for the particular industry that you're in, and the lead agency then consider your case, and then they decide whether to take that up with the ministers. And I mean, you know, I in that particular case, the lead agency side of it's been running since the 21st of April. So the only other way we can run these cases is as humanitarian cases. And I can see some that go through and others that don't. And I literally cannot see the rationale. We don't get reasons from immigration. When you when you go for an exception, you, you go online, you fill out a form, you can only put 3,000 characters in, which, you know, if you're trying to explain a humanitarian case, that's very tricky. And then sometimes 10 minutes after you have submitted that at some obscure time of the day or night, what is an automated email comes back at you saying either you have been successful or in the vast majority of cases that you have not been successful. And that's that no reply email that's very brutal and completely anonymous. What constitutes a, a humanitarian case? So they'll say things like, you know, we can look at your connection to New Zealand versus your connection to the country that you're stuck in. You know, I have a great deal of empathy, in fact, for the immigration officers who've had to suddenly turn their hand to these these border requests where there have been thousands there's been 14,000 and growing. Mm. And these immigration officers are not normally charged with deciding whether someone has exceptional humanitarian circumstances. So this family who are stuck in a shed in South Africa, have they got a humanitarian case that would get them home? Uh, we have run the humanitarian case and it has been declined. The family has applied for an exemption to travel four times, twice because of how much they're needed back on the farm and twice on humanitarian grounds, but all were rejected. The immigration minister last week told RNZ that families with school children may be prioritised when the government decides if it will loosen border restrictions. A very common scenario is that uh, somebody gets a job offer for New Zealand they the family start preparing, but they send a worker ahead mm. while other members of the family stay behind to pack up, get the stuff into the container. Everybody resigns their jobs. So there are cases where we've got split families. We have seen quite a lot of those go through the exception process. They've been approved where the, the stuck family members offshore can come in. And But what we have seen by contrast is that where we've got whole family units stuck offshore or a couple stuck offshore, they can't get back in. I think the thinking is that because they are stuck as a unit and they are maybe in their country of origin, then they've got at least each other. So therefore, that's not humanitarian. But to my mind, that's not rational. So let, let's just use this family as an example, the, the family stuck in South Africa, mm -hmm. rejected so far. 
what what is the mm-hmm. next step? We're trying again. We've asked for the ombudsman to review because that's the tools in our belt. You know, we can't appeal as such. We acknowledge the difficulty that the government has been in here. We've never had to close our borders. But when you're still banging on the door 13 weeks in for some very pressing cases, and, you know, there are a number of families stuck in with very good jobs, jobs that are not going to be done by Kiwis. These because, people have all yeah. got visas. Well, yeah. that's the thing, though. Is there any danger, do you see, that these people who are stuck overseas might lose that visa altogether because the situation since they've gone has completely changed in New Zealand and there are tens of thousands of New Zealanders who can't get jobs. Absolutely. In amongst the people who are caught offshore, there there will be a lot of people whose visas are naturally going to expire as a result of these delays. I mean, the immigration minister, Ian Lee Galloway, has put through a, an, a bill that became law very quickly at the beginning of last month. And that gives him powers to do all sorts of things that could potentially help migrants. We were promised that the the act wouldn't be used to disadvantage migrants without um, all sorts of safeguards. One of the powers quite clearly he's been given is to extend out visas. Given that people were had their visas extended if they were caught here onshore why was it not done for people who are offshore with that said it is complicated and i i'm not going to second guess what the government's going to do there people are really really distressed the level of distress that i have seen is something that Even with my background in human rights, I can say it's well up there. Every day that goes by where we don't resolve this is a day where we're actually, if you like, compounding what was already a very difficult situation and now creating a humanitarian situation for some of these families. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile phone every weekday from any podcast platform. If you're using Apple, give us a rating so other people can find us. This episode was engineered by Blair Stagpole and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to RNZ's Anusha Bradley and Katie Armstrong. Mā te wā.